Broncos need to get to state. This morning we celebrate Palm Sunday, and today we remember Jesus' triumphal entry, and we begin what's called Holy Week. It's important that we take time this morning and then throughout this week to remember the days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Because looking back, we see Jesus' relentless pursuit of His God-given mission and destiny. So let's pray again. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would be here this morning to be our teacher, to illuminate Scripture for us, that we would not read this Scripture and story as we would believe it with all our hearts, recognize Christ as the author of life, and remember that journey and a destination. I looked it up on the internet. I couldn't find out who they are, but they say it, and I get it. The idea is don't neglect the present by focusing entirely on the future. The fact of the matter is, and you're going to hear this word a lot today, I looked up synonyms, but I couldn't find very many, destinations are important because they give perspective for the journey they give purpose for the journey. For example, Lalia, Silas, and I will be headed to southern Italy at the end of the month. Hooray! In actuality, we will be um, taking off on three separate planes for 14 hours. So, pray for us. set aside money, we taught Silas Italian, and the hope of that destination has inserted a joy into our lives. We are looking forward to it. That's what the plane's going to be like. We are looking forward to it, and yet it has given us a certain level of focus in the present. We have our eyes on the prize. Jesus, too, had his eyes on a prize. And this morning we will read Luke's account of the triumphal entry. Spoiler alert, he did not mention anything about palm branches, so I'm sorry about that. This gospel is framed around the destination. The entire middle portion, beginning in chapter 9, verse 51, all the way through chapter 19, is what's called the travel narrative. And that's because everything that Jesus does in these entire ten chapters while he is on his way to Jerusalem. The Gospel writer is emphasizing God's divine purpose. It is essential that Jesus arrives in Jerusalem because it is there that he will fulfill God's objective for him. The city is the centerpiece of the Jewish world with its holy place and its holy people. And God has deemed this city as the place where his redemptive plan will be unleashed. So today we look at the text that depicts Jesus on the verge of reaching his ultimate goal. And what waits on the other side of this 
so-called triumphal entry is anything but triumphant to me. Yet for Jesus, it's when he wins the ultimate battle that we get to celebrate next Sunday. So turn with me in your pew Bibles, your phones, your personal Bibles to Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. And like I told the 930 service, if you are ever feeling like I am boring you or um, you can't pay attention, good way to just confuse the system. Better to just have it in person. Actually, it is better in person. Um, oh, you want the page number? Wow, that's bold. That is 878. I like this interactive service. Keep it going. <laughs> okay. We are just going to read the first chunk, verse 28 through verse 40. And when he said these things, he went on, on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as they rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So the scene begins with the reader learning that Jesus is about a mile or so outside of the city of following this the whole time throughout throughout this gospel. The anticipation of reaching its apex as the long-awaited destination is within just a few minutes' reach. Jesus and his followers can now hear through the hustle and bustle of the city, and they clearly see the temple, which is where they're ending up next. But the drama is interrupted by this obvious question. Jesus has asked two unnamed disciples to go and fetch him an unridden colt. And so you'll agree with this. But why? This seemingly unimportant aside has significant meaning. First, it shows that Jesus is prophetic, right? What he says will happen actually happens. And then second, there are some implicit meanings that we have to peel back. And Luke scholar Joel Green explains it this way. The Lord needs it demonstrates that the claim of Jesus as Lord supersedes the rights of ownership, just as the requirements of king supplant those of his subjects. Here, Luke's gospel is beginning to focus on Jesus' royal significance and preparing for the most explicit affirmation of Jesus' kingly status and what follows. So think of it like this. Jesus is 
commandeering a donkey. Like it's a baby up front here in the car. But the thing about commandeering is you have to have power and authority to do so. The cult or donkey of the other Gospels write specifically, point out, uh, this is an interesting choice, right? This unfolding situation with Jesus riding in from the edge of town is starting to look a lot like that. It looks like a Roman triumph, but it's got a few key differences. Roman triumphs were held in order to celebrate the return of a military commander from Italy. This man would have just won a great uh, victory, and the entire city would show up in order to shout their praises and celebrate their hero be elevated to a status of a demigod, and his entrance would reflect such. So often he would come riding in on the back of a chariot led by two war-torn stallions while being adorned in royal regalia and crowned by glory. And it would look something like this. Probably when his followers are hoping that the moment when Jesus establishes himself and takes a political stand, he names himself the rightful deliverer of his people. But the events of this Holy Week let us know that God had other plans. Jesus doesn't do what is expected of him. He does not throw, overthrow Rome or the corrupt Jewish leaders. Instead, he wins the greatest victory of all time. Required him to die as a sacrifice and become back to the donkey. This is why Jesus comes riding in on a never before ridden donkey. An animal fit for a sacrifice. An animal that symbolizes peace and not war. And it also fulfills an important prophecy in Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Zion. 
righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So as the multitude of Jesus' followers line the streets, they immediately recognize this as the fulfillment of prophecy, and they too believe they are on the verge of reaching their destination that they've been praying for. And so they cry out from Psalm 118, verse 26 together, they cry out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. I was taught in seminary that whenever a New Testament author quotes a verse from the Psalm, that actually they're asking us to go back and read the entire Psalm. The way I think of it is like this. What is the letter that comes before J? Who said A, B, C, D, E, F, J? Hey, wait, I forgot the letters there. Who said the right alphabet before they got there? So, in similar fashion, any Jewish person reading Luke's account of the triumphal entry would recollect the entirety of Psalm 118. So, I want to read some key highlighted verses together. And I want these verses to sink in. Envision these verses being shouted about Jesus. What do you think his followers thought about him? Also, what do you think some of, why do you think some of the Pharisees are upset? So, they'll be up on the screen for us. Verse 1 in Psalm 118 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 5. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Verse 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Verse 17. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. And finally, verses 19 through 26 say this. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. This is an overwhelmingly powerful scene that Christ's followers are declaring in that moment that Jesus is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. The one that they've been praying about for generations. And they recognize that he is the one who saves. And this is why the Pharisees are pleading with Jesus to make his disciples stop. Because this display is deeply offensive to the power players, both Jewish and Roman. The people are rallying around their Messiah King, thus placing him above the Roman Emperor and the Jewish high priest. And not only that, Jesus' answer compounds the whole situation. For for the first time in the Gospels, Jesus is calling himself the Messiah. When he says, if the people are silent, what? The rocks will cry out, the stones will cry out. All of creation recognizes. 
eventual conflict that plays out on Good Friday is absolutely certain at this point. And Jesus has arrived at the doorstep of his destination. And on this doorstep, he takes a moment to process what awaits him. So let's turn there to Luke 19, 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. This must break over the peace that his triumphal entry how his popularity did not mean converted hearts and right belief. Because he loves the city of Jerusalem. And he wants all of her inhabitants to celebrate the reality that God has come to save them. But only a few will officially celebrate Jesus' arrival. And considering Jesus' the king, he is also just. He pronounces a sentence and a judgment against the city. He also warns about impending doom. The phrase, the days will come upon you, is a prophetic judgment phrase used in the Old Testament. He is declaring that Jerusalem is going to fall to our enemies because she failed to recognize Jesus as their promised Messiah. And again, history tells us another one of Jesus' prophecies comes true. Because a few decades later, the entire temple was destroyed. So Jesus finds his long-anticipated destination to be quite bittersweet. Furthermore, he knew the realities in store for him. He knew this grand entrance would lead to the event of Passion Week, and yet he still journeyed on. He stayed the course and followed the direction of the Father. His purpose was aligned with divine purpose. And when our destinations are in line with where God has called us, something beautiful happens. And we see it in Luke 19.37 as it says, As he was drawing near, already on the way down to Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had, they had seen. Jesus was the one receiving the coronation, yet God was the one who was towards goals that we have created for ourselves. But when our destinations do not line up with what God had in mind for us, we start to realize that the prize does not work for effort. Whether you believe you claim to be a Christian or not, I believe this to be true for everyone. One of my favorite quotes is from a celebrity I grew up mimicking. You might know him. I grew up mimicking him in the mirror. I've become quite proficient at a lot of like his Jim Carrey is by no means a proclaimed Christian, and this is what he said. 
I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Many of us reach our destination and only find more emptiness. We have put all of our eggs in the bottom basket. This is because our true destination is in heaven. Pastor Rick made this point abundantly clear last week when he was preaching on Psalm 90. God is our dwelling place, and our supreme destination is with him. Nothing on this earth will ever give the satisfaction and joy that we experience when we finally see Jesus face to face. But this does not mean that our earthly destination and achievements do not matter. God allows us a foretaste of heaven when we follow after his divine purposes for our lives. We begin to experience fulfillment when we reach a destination that God has called us to. But this requires us to persevere in the present. It requires us to say it's this day the course. It requires us to recognize that the spreading of God's kingdom and his glory is far more important than our own happiness. So when I first became a Christian at 15, I soon felt like God had put us a destination in mind. And by 16, I was absolutely certain of it. I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor. So for the next five years, nearly everything I did was purposeful. My life was oriented around getting to where God had called me. So what I did, I started leading some ministries in order to get experience. When I went away to college, I got a religion degree. And all the while, I was being discipled by pastors that I admired. And as I pursued this destination, I was being refined by God. Throughout the entire journey, I was choosing things that were righteous, and I was turning more and more away from sin. But then life happened, and life just completely went differently. And in church, we spent the last several weeks talking about the Psalms and the reality that sometimes bad things come like a barrage of wind in our ears. Well, at 21, I got knocked down by a sneaker test. Next thing I knew, I got up, I decided to change my destination. I decided to take a detour for two reasons. One, to trust where God was leading me. And two, quite honestly, I wanted to flourish. I wanted comfort. I wanted a different experience. So for the next several years, I changed course. And the journey began to reflect it. My life lost meaning as I struggled to decide where I wanted to end up. And as I floundered, so did my faith. Time and time again, I chose what was easy instead of what was good. Nothing satisfied me in that journey, even for the long haul. All the while, though, destination for me had not changed in spite of what I had done or where I had been. So eventually I surrendered to his will and he picked me up and he dropped me right back down where my my Jesus was. Praise be to God that Jesus never took a detour. The test 
temptation was there for him just like it is for us. He asked for a change in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he ultimately stayed true to the divine plan and purpose. So I'll end with this. For those of us who already know Christ as our Lord and Savior, our final destination, that's set in stone. And it should give us confidence and purpose in the journey that we have left. Maybe you're in the second group. You know the destination that God has set before you, but you might have wandered off course for a variety of different reasons. Recommit to the destination that Christ Jesus is waiting for. It's not too late. And finally, you might be full steam ahead towards your God-given destination, just like Jesus constantly had to be carrying the cross on his life. Continue to rely on God and trust him. As the band comes up with Pastor Rich, I'm going to invite our next.